You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation, and I cover the NFL for Fansided and Pro Football Weekly. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can rate us on iTunes. You can tell Alexa or your Google Home to play Locked On Packers. And you can find all of the Locked On Packers content at LockedOnPackers.com. Remember, you can also always hit us up at the Locked On Packers fan hotline, 920-341-3775. And that is where we are going to spend most of our time today. We talked about the Packers-Raiders game. We're going to have Jason Hershorn on tomorrow to talk us through the 53-man roster and to figure out where this team should go, what it should look like. And we're going to do that from the perspective of the coaching staff, and the front office because I think each side has has valid concerns and complaints and criticisms and, and priorities. And it's it's I think it's going to be interesting to talk through those. But for most of today, we are going to spend answering your fan questions from the Locked on Packers fan hotline. And I appreciate how many of you have reached out just to say, hey, I love the podcast, or hey, this is how I found it. A lot of people found it on Reddit, which I think is interesting. I I personally do not spend a lot of time on Packers Reddit, but some of uh, my colleagues at Acme Packing Company do, and so if there's ever anything interesting there, I feel like I'm getting it by proxy, so I'm glad that that, that is where some of you have found the show, uh, and I got a lot of responses on the Pick'em Pool. We are going to do a pool I have to figure out form and process and exact location for that. Of course, with the season starting soon, we'll, we'll have to get on that. But we are going to do a pick'em pool, and, and I'm excited about that. Because last year, I picked every game. I picked every Packers game. And we didn't get to talk about some of the other games. And we, and we will not talk extensively about other games as part of um, the daily run of our show from week to week. But outcomes that... that influence the Packers will be part of the discussion. They were last year at the end of the season. We, we talked, you know, Bears, Lions, Vikings. Uh, when it was appropriate, we talked about some playoff scenarios and, and what Green Bay needed to do to get in with Aaron Rodgers' return. And, and obviously, we know how that played out for the Packers in 2017. The hope would be that there will not be as many machinations that we'll have to go through in 2018 to think about, oh, what needs to happen for the Packers to make the playoffs? Well, they just need to keep winning games. And to start 2018, that's going to be the mantra. Just go win games. Just just win as many games as you can. And in all likelihood, that's going to be enough to get in. 11, 12 wins is going to get you in. I understand the NFC is loaded, but 11 wins probably going to get you in. This, this misnomer that, oh, well, the NFC is loaded, so an 11-win team is going to be left out. No, more likely, a loaded NFC is going to mean more losses. It means there's not going to be a 14 and 12 team. It means there's not going to be a 14 and two team, a 15 and one team, maybe not even a 13 and three team. And instead, you're going to have a lot of teams at nine and seven, 10 and six, and 11 and five. 
Because even the Eagles, who have a very good team, they have a brutal schedule. The Vikings have a brutal schedule. The Saints have a difficult schedule. The Rams have a difficult schedule. The NFC North, they all have a difficult schedule. So if you have three playoff teams in the NFC South and two, maybe three in the NFC North, but you have two or three other teams in the NFC East that all think they're playoff teams, that means any team can beat any other team on a given day. That ramps up the parity that could exist. All right, let's start with a question about Jimmy Graham. This comes from Anthony in Santa Clarita, California. What do you think the impact Jimmy Graham will have on the Packers this season? How has he looked overall in camp with Aaron Rodgers? And we, we got to see a little snippet of that with, with Jimmy Graham and the touchdown catch against Pittsburgh. This question actually came from before the Steelers game. So uh, we're still catching up. That's how many questions we've had. I, I have to, I want to try and go in order. This is a first come first serve situation. Uh, so I, I want to get to some of these older questions before we, we get to the newer ones, just because, listen, you were first to the table. You deserve to eat. And so to Anthony's question, I think the Packer fans should be very, very happy about where this is right now with their chemistry, their relationship. Aaron Rodgers views Jimmy Graham as the X factor of this team and the ability for him to create space where there is none, simply because he's bigger, stronger, and more athletic than the guys covering him. And Aaron Rodgers found him on that touchdown, but he found him on another um, another play across the middle. There was a play where he came back to the ball and, and got the defender on, on defensive pass interference. So he's going to be an impact player in the middle of the field. And the place that Jordy Nelson... And, and some of you fans are, are going to hate that I keep going back to this. But Jordy Nelson was an excellent third down technician and red zone savant. He had this connection with Aaron Rodgers. And now I don't want to say that Rodgers and Graham already have that connection. They don't. You have to build that. It takes time. But they already have incredible chemistry given the short amount of time that they have played together where Jimmy Graham can be clutch. I almost said where he can be huge. He can be huge everywhere because he is just a huge human person. But is in the red zone and on third down. Those little look-in routes. I mean, you want to run an eight-yard comeback on third and six with Jimmy Graham and let him post up a defender split out wide? That works. Let him run a little slant, walls off the defender if he's playing outside leverage, and you've got a completion. You've got a first down. He's not going to create big plays down the field. But guess what? Jordy Nelson wasn't creating big plays down the field anymore either. And one of the things that was interesting and and pointed out in um, the Q&A that we did at Acme Packing Company with Football Outsiders was the decline in play action efficiency from Aaron Rodgers. It's actually remarkable that he's been able to score as often as he has and to be as efficient as he is considering his efficiency has come way down on play-action passes. And in his prime, he was the best play-action quarterback in the league on a per-attempt basis. They were able to get deep shots down the field. Well, if this running game is able to get on track, I think Jimmy Graham in the play-action game, down the middle of the field, those linebackers suck up. Those safeties are out of position. And now all of a sudden, you've got a guy 6'7", 250, who can run like the wind And you've got a big play down the middle of the field. That, I think, is going to be reignited 
in his game and and can create in an important way an element that Green Bay hasn't had in a number of years. It's something Aaron Rodgers said himself is an element they haven't had in this offense in a long time, probably since prime Jermichael Finley. And you may remember um, the, the Packers, when the year they won the Super Bowl, Jermichael Finley was the team's leading receiver before he got hurt. And then he was a big part of their offense in 2011, 2012, those those seasons that we forget a little bit, but he was a monster when he was on the field and when he was healthy. All right, I love this next question. Uh, it's, a, it's a voicemail, so let's just play it. Hey, Peter, this is Matt from St. Paul. I have a question about our fullback situation for Green Bay. Uh, where do you see them fitting in in the uh, long-term scheme of things? I know McCarthy always loves his fullback, but... Uh, Rapkowski didn't get too much action last year, and uh, we got that other guy, Joe Kerrigan, right? And uh, just wondering if they're special team guys or what, With now that we have some blocking tight ends and kind of the uh, Jones and Williams slash Montgomery backfield we got going on this year. Uh, hope you answer on there. Love the pot. I'll hang up and listen. Now, I had listened to this voicemail before I wrote the piece for Acme Packing Company about this exact topic. I didn't have this in mind. It wasn't what spurred it. In fact, I was going through and doing my prep for the podcast with Jason on the 53-man roster, and I was trying to put together, you know, who do I think belongs on this 53-man roster? And at the end of it, I went, there's no fullback. I don't see a fullback on here. Why don't I see a fullback? And the answer is, they have the tight ends. And we saw against the Steelers, we saw Lance Kendricks as an H-back in the backfield. We saw Mercedes Lewis as an H-back. And with three, maybe four tight ends, if you include Robert Tunyon, who can play, Green Bay doesn't have to rely on the fullback in the run game. This is an important distinction. They've played a lot of single back in the preseason with just the running back. Not a lot of time with the fullback on the field. And if you go back to 2016... They led the league in four receiver sets. They were second in the league in five receiver sets. And just 12% of snaps included a fullback. Why waste a roster spot on a player who has limited ability to help you in the passing game, who can only basically help with little flare outs and, and safety valve plays? Someone who, Aaron Ripkowski, not the devastating blocker you'd want a fullback to be if he's going to be on your roster. And yes, he can be a valuable special teams player, but the value of that relative to the value of a pass-catching tight end, for example, is a no-contest win for the tight end. So why is Green Bay going to waste a roster spot on a fullback when they have these tight ends who can block, who can catch, who can do a little bit of everything? And it wouldn't surprise me if someone like Robert Tunyon, who can block, if they were to keep four tight ends and not keep a fullback. Now, this would, ha- this would have to shake out some things elsewhere. Maybe Greer Martini doesn't make the team. Maybe he makes the practice squad. Maybe you, you, you slide Donerson onto the practice squad. Whatever you have to do. But Green Bay could go four tight ends and no fullbacks in what would be a stark departure for the Mike McCarthy tenure. I think this is the most logical outcome. I don't know that it's necessarily the most likely. But it's certainly possible. And I think... It would be great to see it because Green Bay is going to play a lot more with these two tight end sets. And when you have two tight ends, obviously you don't need the fullback. And what I was explaining to someone on Twitter the other day was the the staple run in the Packers offense is outside zone. You don't need a fullback 
on outside zone. But if you have a tight end that can block, that is incredibly valuable to you. And so it actually makes more sense to have the extra tight end than it does the fullback given the way this offense looks. So this question is right on. I do think it's possible and perhaps likely that scheme dictates, the evolution of this offense dictates, Green Bay gets rid of a staple part of the offense that has been with Mike McCarthy forever. Before we move on, I want to let you know that we are still doing the Locked On Packers athletic promotion. So if you want to join the athletic, if you're thinking about it, if you've considered and you thought, well, I don't want to pay for my content. I understand that. There's a lot of good Packers content out there. There's a lot of good Brewers and Bucks and Badgers content out there. But I hope you'll support really good content. And in fact, it's not just about supporting good content. It's about supporting a good experience for a media consumer. If you are someone who doesn't want pop-ups, you don't want ads, you don't want autoplay videos, that is what The Athletic is giving to you. That's what you're paying for. You're paying for a streamlined, personalized experience for authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams inside and out. And coverage is going to go well beyond game recaps, trade speculations, that's what this show's for, to smarter analysis and a deeper perspective about teams and the league. Subscribers, when you subscribe, you get access to local and national content. We're talking about hundreds of stories published every day. You want national media coverage from Richard Deitch, it's there. National NFL coverage from Lindsey Jones, it's there. Plus the Packers coverage from Michael Cohen, Ben Fennell, and, and just a host of outstanding writers across the country. College football, the college roster is absolutely stacked. Their college media team right now is an Alabama recruiting class. That's how good it is. You can subscribe now with a Locked on Packers promo code. In fact, we have an entire link you can use at theathletic.com slash locked on Packers. You'll get 40% off your first year subscription. That's more than the writers. When they announce they're going to the athletic, they give you 30%. I'm going to give you 40%. That's less than $3 a month, less than you spend on coffee today. And you could get all of this great content through the athletic. That's theathletic.com slash locked on Packers to get 40% off your whole year's subscription. All right, this comes from Paul from South Carolina, I assume. SC is not USC, but, you know, who knows. Peter, on today's Golik and Wingo show, they mentioned the criticism with the Packers offense has always been that coaches haven't devised any schemes to get players open that it's only been Rodgers' ability to throw people open. Do you agree? And if so, do you see this changing with regard to better scheme to help Aaron? This has been a criticism of the Packers' offense. There's no doubt about it. Now, I don't think that all the success of the offense has to do with Aaron Rodgers throwing guys open. Guys get open. I think that's been the most overwrought criticism and overblown criticism of the Packers' offense over the last few years is, oh, well, no one's open. People are open. Guys are open. It's just that what happens in this offense too often is the plays are designed such that you're looking at matchups as the quarterback. And that is your sort of your that's your progression. It's not, okay, here's what the play is designed to to get you. And so this is the way you need to be thinking about it. And I think that just that setup is inherently convoluted and and creates 
opportunities for Rodgers to break the pocket and play backyard football because he's looking at, okay, who's playing Jordy Nelson? Who's covering him? How are they covering him? Those kinds of things. Relying on players to win for you consistently is fine when you have Greg Jennings and John O'Driver and Jordy Nelson and all of these talented players at the skill position. If you don't, you have to find ways to help your quarterback. In 2015, one of the biggest problems I had was you look around the league and much like Dom Capers, and I think this was the nadir of the criticism of Mike McCarthy and Dom Capers because Mike McCarthy wasn't holding up his end in 2015. That offense lagged without Jordy Nelson. Devontae Adams was hurt. Randall Cobb, he couldn't get on track. And that Mike McCarthy couldn't manufacture offense, I think is a criticism that is fair. Now, with Brett Hundley, there were a lot of criticisms that I had. Not enough RPO, not enough read option, not enough getting Hundley on the move and simplifying things for him. They asked him to run Aaron Rodgers' offense, and that's just not going to work out. I actually think the plays that I dislike the most from this offense are the ones where Aaron Rodgers has a defined read, where it's where it's receiver screens or those kinds of setup plays. Now, that said, there are inherent route concepts that this that are integral in this offense. Post-wheel combinations, for example, Brett Hundley hit Randall Cobb against the Steelers in the regular season last year on a post-wheel where the wheel guy is running wide open down the sideline. That is a play the Packers like to run. Mike McCarthy, I think, has received too much flack for this, oh, he doesn't scheme anyone open. He runs crossing routes. He calls slants. There are route combinations. They don't use rub routes as much as some other teams, but they did use them a lot in 2016. They tried. They started to use them in 2017. There was that big play against the Falcons that got called back on what I thought was a ridiculous offensive pass interference call. So this is one of those things where I understand the criticism. I don't know that I, that it, I think it's fair. And I just think that this offense needed to evolve a little bit just to be more creative formationally. You can run the same six plays, but you have to keep the defenses off balance. And I think Green Bay had gotten too predictable. They had gotten too stagnant with their formations. And it looked like already they're using their personnel in creative ways to get better mismatches. This is a mismatch league. And so as long as you're using your, your personnel to get mismatches that are convenient for you, guys are going to get open. You don't have to scheme guys open when they're good. Pat Shermer got a lot of credit for the Minnesota offense last year, but a lot of the big plays that they created was just Case Keenum throwing jump balls to Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and those guys made plays. I mean, there was nothing fancy about what a lot of really good offenses have done. There was nothing fancy about what the Saints did last year. But Alvin Kamara in space is about as unstoppable as it gets. You don't have to be the Kansas City Chiefs and run interesting variations on traditional concepts to be a good offense. You need to have good players. And I think that is why you see Jimmy Graham's arrival and Mercedes Lewis's arrival and some of these tight ends and you say, okay, they have gone back to thinking we need to get mismatches. Ty Montgomery is a mismatch player. That is the key to an offense like this. That's why the Mike McCarthy offense is so effective when they have a move tight end because it is so much based on finding optimal mashups. And so when they have good matchups, they are really good. 
All right, last question before we get out of here. Hey, Peter, this is Trevor from Ripon, Wisconsin. I think it might be the first question, maybe the second from Wisconsin. I love that we're getting questions from all over the country. It's great. I'm one of your recent followers on Twitter. I was sitting, getting ready for preseason week one and was thinking to myself, there has to be a podcast about the Packers that can give me more than just the reports that came out. So I looked up Green Bay Packers podcast and found Locked on Packers. Can't stop listening. I've gone back and listened to a lot of your older podcasts, like your draft one, rookie orientation, and much more. Keep it up. You're doing a great great job. You may have gotten this already, and I just didn't listen to that podcast. But my question is, do you think there's a chance one of our top three rookies can win defensive rookie of the year? I know it's not really important and putting out an average or above average defense overall is more important for the team, but I think with the talent of those three, we might have a rookie of the year. Trevor, I don't think you're wrong. I thought Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson were each top 20 defensive talents. And then in a situation like that, when you can have talented players who are going to get playing time, they're going to be in a position to succeed. And I happen to think Oren Burks, who is probably not going to win defensive rookie of the year because those kinds of guys are sack masters or corners who get interceptions. Those are usually the players that win defensive rookie of the year. But Jair Alexander is going to play the majority of snaps. And he's going to have opportunities and teams are going to test him. And he is a playmaker. I think the fact that Jair also has a chance to return punts. If let's say he breaks a punt return for a touchdown that, that breaks open a game and he comes up with four or five interceptions on the year, that could be a defensive rookie of the year type season. And those opportunities, as much as anything else are important. And then you add in the Packers brand. They're going to be on national TV a ton, barring major injury. They're going to be in the Super Bowl conversation. So teams like New Orleans last year, if the Saints were 6-10 and 10 and Marshawn Lattimore had the kind of season he had, there's no way he wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. It goes to Tredavious White, who was on a playoff team. But people are going to watch the Packers play. They're going to see Jair Alexander play. And they're gonna they're gonna know who he is, and and they're gonna he's gonna help a championship caliber team be that. And I think that matters to a lot of voters. So, to your question, yes, yes, one of these guys could win Defensive Rookie of the Year, and I I, I don't know that Josh Jackson is gonna have enough opportunities, barring injury, to play enough. Even if he's the the dime corner, I don't think that's gonna be enough. He he'd have to get like six picks. Not crazy. But it seems pretty unlikely. Uh, Even a Sam Shields-like rookie season I don't think would be enough, just given the talent in this draft. So could it it be? Yeah, they're all going to have a role. And and Alexander and Burks are both going to be starting. I think both have a chance to be high-impact players. Can they be good enough to be rookies of the year? It's going to be tough. I'm not going to say they're the favorites. They're not. But they have a chance? Yeah, of course they have a chance. All right, remember, Jason Hershorn coming up tomorrow. We're going to talk about final 53-man projections. Who is going to make this roster? Who's not? And and how these different entities that are going to make these decisions. It's not just going to be a coach's call. It's not just going to be a front office call. They're going to get together, have a little confab, not unlike what Jason and I are going to do, and break it down for you. We have a ton of content about that at acmepackingcompany.com. Always stay on top of that. We, we post all that stuff to Twitter. Go follow them on Twitter. That would be great. Remember, all these shows are also on Facebook. Go like the podcast on Facebook. Help other people find us. You, another way to help people find us, iTunes. We are soaring up the iTunes charts, which is awesome. 
keep the momentum going by leaving a review. Review the show, rate us, that helps get the word out as well because iTunes sees that and they go, people like this show, we're gonna prioritize it. Because they're, they're, let's be honest, the people like this show, it's gonna find its way into your feed. It's gonna find its way into the feeds of people who don't know about it. They're gonna, oh, what is this? Let me try this, let me subscribe to this. So review the podcast on iTunes, rate us, subscribe, give us five stars, give us six stars if they let you. They probably won't, but they might. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Always, always send your, your breaking news questions, especially there. And I try to answer them as quickly as I can. But keep using the Locked on Packers fan hotline. I'm loving it so much. We can do more of these shows. Maybe we get to the point where I'm answering one of these during the season every show. Right now, we have a lot of time. During the season, we're going to have less time. So maybe that's something we do as we move forward. That number, 920-341-3775. I want you guys to feel like you're a part of the show, to stay engaged, to be engaged, and always stay locked on Packers.